Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Shaver, joined by Brunts the Perfectionist and Brian Christofferson with notes. How's it going on this Wednesday? A little shady, apparently. A little shade over here. Uh, you don't feel the heat? There, is there heat? It's coming from me. <laughs> you guys going to get into it right here? I felt that fastball go right by my, my ear. Good. Caught your I attention. Ain't, I ain't tight. Maybe don't crowd the plate so much. <laughs> Got to back me off. I did. <laughs> Brian has no idea what just happened. I, I'm guessing that people listening are probably in the same boat. Yeah, well, they're not supposed to know. <laughs> hey, you would think the guy in the room would know what was going on, but he's busy studying over I there. I know what's going like on. You guys, are about, you guys are about to throw down. I, you got to understand something. I just stepped out of my house. It's like 2 in the afternoon, and I just put <laughs> pants on at 1.30 and stepped out of my house. That's the kind of day I was having. What would you find when you got outside? <laughs> it was beautiful. I thought it was really cold, and I was like, oh, I'm going to put shorts on. It's that I... giant ball of light in the sky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't seen that in like four days. So that's where I'm at. Like me in January. That's I'm usually known for doing that. <laughs> Brett's going 72-hour, just anti-social, won't leave the house. I, no Some, pants with belt loose. If there's no basketball availability, he is locking in, baby. Gray on gray sweats time. That's yeah. what it is. Gonna tuck it in too. <laughs> you can. I, I enjoy the color coordination there. All right. Well, we're uh, we're gonna break up this jovial beginning here and jump straight into something that was <laughs> make you sad. Yes, we're gonna ruin your day. We're gonna talk about Oscar football now. <laughs> <laughs> and if that you was a hell of a segue. Yeah, we uh, we're gonna discuss the weekend that was. Nebraska went up to Minnesota, got its butts kicked, came home. Lost 54-21. Score wasn't as close as that 33-point margin would indicate. Patrick O'Brien played. That was kind of at least entertaining in the second half to a point. With the awesome stat line of running for 41 yards but losing it all back in sacks for a net of zero. Yeah, that, that's got to be up there. For <laughs> you that. will not be buying that offensive line of stake. No. Uh Patrick O'Brien playing was probably the most noteworthy thing about that game from a Nebraska perspective, right? I mean... Other than they ensured that Demery Croft would have the kind of game that he could tell his family about for the rest of his life. From a Nebraska perspective, though. I mean, I'm I'm sure Demery Croft might buy stakes for some of Nebraska's players. (laughs) (laughs) That was was pretty good. I liked it. (laughs) I liked it. Continue. Christopherson no sold that though. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's barely in the room as it is. So it's <laughs> waiting for that monster energy drink to kick in. Um, well, he's going with a pure pure zero. It doesn't have any sugar in it. Yeah, it's watermelon ra- flavor, ra- huh? Yeah, that's what I I just got it at the gas station. Oh, that sounds terrible. Um, so let, let's break that game down quickly because I don't know how much we really need to linger on it. Um. That first quarter, it was kind of like a ping-pong match, back and forth, back and forth. Nebraska gets stopped on fourth down. I mean, did the wheels kind of just come off at that point? I mean, was that – Mike Riley said that was a, a turning point in the game, but you would kind of hope that – It was team, actually the second quarter by the time that right, happened, right? Yeah. yeah, but you would hope that a team would have a little bit of a backbone to be able to, mm-hmm. to weather being stopped yeah. in opponent's territory. Well, I'm going to enter the room now hey, with welcome. an opinion. Hey, it's Brian Christofferson. Um I mean, the thing that's bothered me about Nebraska football for not just this year, but this goes back five, ten years, is it feels like, you know, if you're going to go for a fourth and one inside the other team's ten, the whole idea is like, well, if you miss it, they have to go 90-some yards. You know, this is a pretty good setup. Your defense should be able to go on the field and, and get a stop. How many times, not just Minnesota, but throughout the course of Husker football in the last decade, have you seen teams in those situations not only flip the field, but go the entire distance. And Minnesota does it in five plays. I mean, that's it's just incredible um, Nebraska's consistency. This is one thing they are consistent at, is letting teams make drives like those in situations like those, much like Wisconsin did when the score was tied 17-17 and the season was still you know, there to, to be had in a successful way. Yeah, that game felt like it was not going to go Nebraska's way when they got Minnesota to that fourth down. They get lined up, and the Gophers decide to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. They run the speed option, an easy conversion. 
And it was kind of – you just felt a little spirit go from there. Punched in the touchdown pretty quickly after that. Nebraska's offense tried to keep them in it, got down the field. They get to their own fourth down, and they weren't even close. And I know that there's discussion about it being Mikhail Wilbon and not Divino Zigbo on that run. He was hit a good yard – Behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, it, it wouldn't have mattered. It, Could have had a Mir Abdullah in it. Yeah, Larry, Larry Zonka wasn't picking that yeah. one up. All right, can, I'll use Jim Brown as his prime. We've got a Mir <laughs> Abdullah, Larry Zonka, and, and, and Jim Brown. I don't think Walter Payton gets that yard. Uh, probably not. Maybe. Maybe. What Don't about Latavius Murray? Oh, Latavius Murray <laughs> loses three yards on that play. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's – Quick I mean that, that's though. kind of the story of the last few years, though, right? Like you, you blown opportunities, yeah, inability to seize the moment. But I mean, going back to your point about like the flipping the field with a you know a big play or something like that. I mean, Illinois, twenty fifteen, like they had to drive that whole way, did it pretty easily to, to win the game. Wisconsin, twenty seventeen. Yeah, I mean Northern You're at Illinois, the nine yard line. Northern Illinois, same yeah. way. At, yep. At some point, it is really up here. It feels like in the head. Yeah. With Nebraska. It's like you expect, and I think fans and media expect it when they're watching it, so why wouldn't players be the same way? They've seen this story written before. This is what happens in this situation, and that, that kind of becomes you, like it's written before it even happens type of thing. I mean, it's that way with good teams, too. When you're a good team, you know, if you're the Patriots in the NFL, they expect something good to happen even when it's not happening at that moment. And Nebraska – even when something good is happening, expect something bad is just around the block. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there's a lot, there's a lot of experiences to expect that too. Yep. So, well versed. Oh, I guess. I mean, the thing that you would, I guess, is being discussed coming out of that game, is did guys quit? Was there a lack of effort? That's always going to get asked in a game where it's fifty-four to twenty-one, especially against a bad team. I think it's always a complicated question. Because it's a, it's a bold thing to point at a team. It's hard to argue against, but yet you know there are some guys who care deeply over there. But it, it, it's just, it just miss, something's missing between, I think, the communication between the D coordinator and the players and just what do we do in this situation? How do we correct it when it's going wrong? And I, I just don't think they, they know how to solve stuff on the fly at all. Yeah, I mean, we, we were kind of talking about this beforehand. Schaefer, you talked said you talked about it you know, for a couple segments on another show today that you, when you're going from a 4-3 a to a 3-4, it requires a lot of teaching, a lot of communication, a lot of clear communication. And, you know, everybody's kind of shaking their head or laughed at, at Bob Diaco's comments the last couple of weeks about the strain and tackling and, Whatever else has po- seemed to be the topic of the day. Puzzles. Puzzles. Uh, the most recent. We're talking about going into a film, like making pictures, photographs. Wasn't there on Saturday? Like a dark room. Yeah, dark room. The dark room. There was a dark room that was brought up. So, for all those negative me- thoughts get developed, mm-hmm. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> I wasn't there. He took it from somebody else. He said that he did, but that's what. Well, wait. He stopped in the middle of the interview. Said I took that from somebody else. No, he said I heard this. Citing a source. Oh, I heard this really good quote once. I I like that he's citing stuff after last week's mishap with the tackling thing. He's decided, you know what? I'm at least gonna cite a source. I'm gonna show my work. (laughs) Hand out a bibliography. Anyway, uh, go go on. But but I I think that you probably are okay to ask the question about if our players a getting the message and the teaching. Like, is it being communicated in a way that they understand? And b are players getting to the point now where they're kind of like fans and media, where they're kind of rolling their eyes a little bit, huh? and you know shrugging their shoulders and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, I, I think the the more recent results that Nebraska's defense has put on the field suggest that there might be some of that going on. Yeah. yeah they – and it, it, it wasn't just effort. It was poor body positioning. It was not being in the right spot. It wasn't knowing your particular role in a given assignment – 
it felt like a lack of preparation, really. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of it fell on the the unfortunate shoulders of a backup starter in, in Markel Dismuke. I mean, he had a lot of the, the breakdowns, or he had to make the play in open field, and he wasn't able to do it. He had a unfortunately bad game in which he wasn't where he needed to be a lot of the time. And some of that, I mean, you argue is, okay, you got a backup in there. It's going to be different if Aaron Williams is playing in that game. It's going to be different if, you know, JoJo Doman is playing in that game. You get to the point where you've got a guy there, but he's spent time in this system. He's spent time being taught. You know they went over whose role it was to be where, and it still didn't matter. And so it, it's it's not just a, they, they didn't show up and they were lazy and they quit. It's even if some guy showed up, with a defense, all it takes is one person not understanding his role or not doing his job, and you can have a crack that's big enough for somebody to run 73 yards. We've kind of talked about it a little bit. I, I can't remember if it's been on the podcast, but, I mean, that issue to me is why, in some ways, I think Bob Elliott not being there was a little bit of a blow for this defense because you've got him there in the spring, He's essentially kind of speaking Diaco, so to so to speak, where he can kind of translate for everybody else. This is what he means. Yeah, and, and to teach that defense. I think, you know, tragically, him not being there, I mean, aside from what that means, I mean, I, I think it really set back the development of the defense quite a bit because... It, it also set back the relationship of, of Bob Diaco and the assistants on that defensive staff. I mean, frankly, if you're looking at it from his perspective, he didn't hire any of them outside of Bob Elliott. And that was the only one that had ever worked in his system. And so then you've got a a clash of personality of sorts, and I'm not breaking any news here. They don't all get along all the time, and they all have different ideas of what needs to be done. And so when you've got, you know, your, your boss telling players one thing and your position coach maybe coaching something else, you get... Players caught in the middle not knowing who they're supposed to believe mm-hmm. and oftentimes maybe gravitating towards one direction when it's not what the system is being called for. And not knowing looks like lack of effort then. I mean, that it's not always as simple as no one – these guys don't care. They care, but if you just don't know, like, okay, am I supposed to be here or there, and you think about it even for a split second while play is going on – you look slow, and that's where people say, oh, that guy doesn't care. Look how slow he is to react and all this stuff. And it's, it might just be because the guys are in a haze out there, you know, with not not understanding stuff. But I don't know. It's interesting. I, I did – as much as Diaco's kind of been trashed the last few weeks, I, I think it's important to note because I was – I mean, when we watched him in the off season, we wrote some glowing stuff about him. I know I did. Mm-hmm. And we – we talked about how guys were really buying into it, it seemed like, and, you know, he had this enthusiasm. And players in August, I know this is what you're going to hear in August, but it seemed really genuine. Players were, like, really loving his enthusiasm. And then one of the stories I did, even talking to a few parents of players where you get some real truth sometimes, they talked about, yeah, they love Diaco. They think this thing's really going to take off under him. He said his scheme is so much better and all this and that. That was the true feeling by a lot of people in August. And so it got from there to here in that quick a time. Do you think there's parallels with how people felt about Mike Riley in August of 2015 and how maybe they felt by October of 2015 in that you're excited about it, you believe in it, and then the results aren't there? Mm -hmm. And so what do you have to rely on? And so that that enthusiasm wanes a little bit. And so then you're – you're in the middle of a, of a season, you have to pull it together. And if you don't have that same enthusiasm, if you don't have the, the, the knowledge base and everything, it can come apart at the seams. I, I think there's a little bit of a parallel there. Well, I think it's, it's one of those things where I, I think if you, when you make a change like that, if you're not seeing results and the, res, and the results that you are seeing are – significantly worse than the results that you had before that I think it's probably natural for a player to kind of look around and say you know what what's what's going on here like why yeah. why, why are was, we going backwards why was this decision made um kind of look at the leadership and, and you know head coach Mike Riley I think guys are still playing for Mike Riley I think they like Mike Riley but I, I think it's 
kind of human nature at that point to say like, you know, why, why was this decision made to, to fire Mark Banker? I mean, Mark Banker wasn't insanely popular with players um, from what we've heard. Um, I don't think so. But at the same time, I, I think what we've kind of seen is a lot of, a lot of hype and bluster and not much substance. And I, I think the, as a player, you kind of want to see the results that, that match up with, you know, the, the enthusiasm and the up downs and everything that we saw mm-hmm. in the spring and, and fall camp that, that everybody was kind of buying into and excited about. You got to be able to get off the mat, but it's, it's really interesting. You go back to the first game of the Riley era and just how it happened. You know, you, they, you kind of need that positive push. Like, okay, I see it. You got to win. Let's, let's go off of that. And right off the bat, there's that kick to the jewels. Yeah. Not a bit of good win too against a and, solid BYU team. Mm-hmm. And you know that had a chain effect on that season, which I think, in a way, has lingered over the program throughout the Riley era. And I, I mean, I know people say, "Well, that's just one play, one game. Get over it." And I get that. But these are young people who were sort of a, some of them were sort of attached to the last coach. And they needed to see something off the bat, like okay, there's success with somebody else. Let's let's go with this. And you, you didn't find that. I mean, but last year they they won nine games, and seven in a row to start the year. You should be able to build off of that. But I think what we have realized is there was a little bit of fool's gold with that too. The schedule is kind of set up a certain way, and and when they've met certain competition, they just. They just haven't been up to it, both physically and mentally, as we've talked about. And that mental part, I think, is a big part of it. Well, that, that mental part, I mean, you go toe-to-toe with Wisconsin, and then you lose that game, and you're unable to recover your season. Yeah. I mean, you're not losing 54-21 to 21 to Minnesota because they're physically better than you. Right. There, there's, some, there's many other factors at play to lose a game like that. And P.J. Flex, not that good of a coach. Ooh. Don't get us started. You're looking around the room like we're supposed to, to back us. you up here. You're trying to trigger us. I, I'm just I, I turned around looking to make sure people are still behind me as I'm walking into a hostile I, group. And might, you guys are walking around Fleck, the other way. Fleck might win big there. I just I'm not on the I'm not in the boat. I don't have an oar. Well, they've got plenty of them at TCF Bank Stadium on the walls. If that was you a need good an extra oar. That was. I mean that that was. I mean. He needed it. They needed that one. And, I mean, they've beaten Oregon State, who fired their head coach. They've beaten Buffalo, uh, Illinois, and now Nebraska. I mean, it's not, you know, they're not they're not rowing that boat through mm-hmm. stormy seas by any means. But they're going to win. They're going to a bowl game. Yeah. He would take that in year one. And that's why this was, you know, there have been so many bad moments for Husker football of late. But we were talking about on the drive home. This is almost, to me, and it's a little separate category where it's, has there been a loss where it's been this bad on the scoreboard to just a bad team? I can't think of one. I can think of bad losses or where they got killed by a Ohio State or somebody, and you're like, okay, oh, that's Ohio State. But this was just a bad football team that just boat raised them. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, maybe the Big Ten title game. I mean, that that was a okay Wisconsin team, but they weren't fantastic by any means. Tennessee at the Music Bowl. That, but those are talented. those are even still different. Yeah, they're better Minnesota. than what that Minnesota team is. This for is sure. just a 119th ranked offense, and to do that, it's amazing. Real yeah. quickly, when you guys were at the Music City Bowl and you saw Mike Riley and Butch Jones get those commemorative guitars, <laughs> did it ever occur to you <laughs> that both would be on the hot seat? And Butch Jones already out of a job at Tennessee in 2017. Discuss. Did it occur to me at the time? Yes. At the time, I remember thinking, why do Butch Jones and Mike Riley look so awkward with those guitars? I mean, they look pretty awkward, I have to say. But, um, I mean, most people kind of look awkward with guitars, right? Yeah, but... At that moment, it's hard to think... What I, I get from what he's saying, though, it's hard to think big picture when... <laughs> When you've got Mike Riley and Butch Jones with guitars, you're kind of in Not that. Not just guitars. We're talking acoustic guitars. You're just, yeah. you're just in that moment. You can't think beyond that moment. I was sitting there thinking, <laughs> what life choices have led me to this moment where I'm sitting in a Nashville hotel ballroom watching two guys stand you're here awkwardly the, with guitars. I need to take pictures of this. Yeah, it was Opryland, wasn't it? It was. 
would have been something if Mike just started like strumming, like classic, cl- some real classical gas or something. I would have really enjoyed that. I, for some reason, I was on the ride back. Like I had thought about that in my head. The photo of those two guys with that guitar went through our system, and I didn't find a good one of it. I can believe that Butch is no longer at Tennessee. Yeah, that that isn't a and big I, shock. I don't know. I knew I knew going into this year. With Nebraska football, you always know that if the team goes four and eight or five and seven, that guy might not be here. You know, I mean that's that's just always part of the deal. You might not remember this, but after the first game, the Arkansas State game, we're coming back and we carpool over to the game, drop runs off, and I think I was either giving you a ride home or a ride to your to my that's house. That's where we share our real thoughts, Brunts. <laughs> but Brunts is gone. We can get yeah. real now. I think we can talk about the BC just made some <laughs> remark. Just kind of like offhand, like, I don't think the season's going to be very good. Just based oh. off of that, that first game. I mean, it turned to be uh, pretty correct. Well, it. this is the first I'm hearing about this. I don't think that was that bold. <laughs> uh, I mean. Well, you guys were they, still they, on the bandwagon the next week because I remember the day before Oregon, I was telling you, I just don't think they're going to win this game, which they, looking back, should have won that game. Yep. But you guys were, Schaefer wanted to fight me about it, I think. Pretty much. I was. Uh, I thought this was team I in the car for that. Um, I don't know. You might have been. We were Seem sitting upset. at the table at a brewery in uh, Portland. Oh uh, yeah. I see you around sometimes. Yeah. Um. So what's going to happen next week? So we were sorry. We were transitioning. To, we were, were we done with Butch Jones? I mean, do we want to get into <laughs> Tennessee uh, talk. Well, I can I mean, it kind of like fits all together. Like they're part of this. Tennessee, Florida, and we seemingly apparently nebraska we think is part of this coaching discussion about what's going to happen and how does it happen next week that's an interesting thing well for for those of the listeners who have not read your column from last sunday i guess uh Late sunday yeah sunday what, what was your <laughs> what's your kind of take on the situation because I, I think it's kind of become uh the the, the thought process for some well, I just think at this point, if it's obvious to all, and especially if Bill Moose and Mike Riley have had that discussion where it's like, this is where we're headed. Maybe they haven't, but I think you could at this point, or even if, if Saturday goes like we think it's going to go against a very good Penn State team and Nebraska gets beat soundly, I think you could have that discussion over that weekend and say, you know, we're probably going in a different direction let's not play this charade of not pretending like, I mean, everybody else is talking about it. We might as well talk publicly about it. And I think my, I wouldn't say this about everybody because I don't think every coach could handle it the right way, but I do think Mike Riley is of a different breed where you could get him up there on Monday at the press conference and he could speak on it himself. Like this will be it for me at Nebraska. And he would do it in a very professional manner and knowing Nebraska fans as you guys do, it's a fan base that loves a little sappy story to it. I mean, it does. We all do. And I think what would happen is instead of there being this, <laughs> why are you guys laughing? Am I wrong? I don't think Schaefer likes sappy. But but this fan base does. I'm okay with it. I'm not sitting at home with a Lifetime or a Hallmark Channel on during when, Christmas. When Teddy Bridgewater, when Teddy Bridgewater. Like got misty-eyed and cried before the game. Didn't get a little dusty in the room for you. I mean, it was an emotional <laughs> moment for him for sure. I see it was. I for certainly me. See, took... I'm a little sappy that way. Yeah, and I'm. I think you're kind of you're kinda broad brushing the sap here. I think I was proud that he had made it back. Anyway, I think Nebraskans. <laughs> well, it... Look, if you want to watch the Hallmark Christmas Channel, <laughs> no one's going to hold that against. Regardless, you. I don't you think the stadium would would rally around. Mike and be like, let's win, you know, let's win this thing for Mike in his final game. I really think they would. Even if everybody kind of knows that beforehand this is going to be his final game, I think there's something to be said for just saying it publicly. There's no, like, speculation about it. And it also puts the focus on the game for a few days and beating Iowa, which fans would take a great satisfaction in still, and on the few seniors this team has. And I just think there's a win-win. I don't know. Yeah, and 
I, I think there's a large percentage of fans out there that really like Mike Riley, that wanted Mike Riley to have success at Nebraska, and it didn't work that way. They don't maybe like the way that it has gone, but they like him. Sure. And they would be happy if in his last game he gets to go out as a winner, if Nebraska yep. goes out as a winner. Um, and so I, I think that that is, is definitely true. I don't know if that's the route that Bill Moose wants it to go, and he's the one that ultimately is going to decide – whether that's going to happen or not. Um, but it, it makes, from a from a pure narrative standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I think it improves their chances to play well. That's part of the reason I, if I'm on Nebraska's side, I think it gets it out of the way for the team. And while the season is considered a lost season, you, we all know what how much it has annoyed people around here to get beat by Iowa. What and, if Mike Riley just says something during the week to the team? But, you know, then you get – then it's popping out on our message boards. And, you know, it, it, I, I just think – I just think go public with it. But it most people think they know what's going to happen anyway, I guess. So you could say it doesn't matter that much. But uh, I don't know. That was just my opinion. I'm glad – I think you guys all agree. I'm glad that they didn't make a change la- this week. It wouldn't make any sense. It no. doesn't do anything. You know, we were kind of in the minority of that opinion on Saturday, but yeah, I did. I like John Perell and think he could give a fiery speech, but I don't know that it's worth 35 points against Penn State as an interim coach that he's going to fire him up that much. Yeah, well, and, and especially too, if you let's say you get rid of Mike Riley, like you still have the same coordinators. There's still your issues don't change, right? Like you just have a different guy at at, at the. Uh, at the head, and and I don't think that it's really that guys have given up on Mike Riley. Like I don't, I I've never really gotten that impression. So I, I don't really see, I don't see it as like a Tennessee situation where Butch Jones gets fired, and then all of a sudden players are talking bad about him. Like it's it's not that kind of a situation. Yeah, and, and I don't expect a whole lot of tell all about Mike Riley to right. come out in the way that you've seen in Tennessee. Yeah, I. The, the, so far, I think it's been handled the right way by Bill Moose. We'll see what happens in 10 days or whatever it is. But, you know, he said, this is what I'm doing. And I think if you say this is what I'm doing, and this is where you could argue that my idea about the Monday thing kind of goes against it because he has said he wants him to finish the year. He's still finishing the year under what I'm talking about, but I, he could be under the belief that you don't say anything publicly about your head coach until the season's over, and I and I can appreciate that too. Which is, I don't. It's been interesting to me though. I mean, how he's talked so openly about Scott Frost too, in, in light of that. But I mean, I, he's a guy that seems like he's going to be open. Uh, he's going to talk to media, um, and. You know, I, I think, I don't know, like, I, I just think that, you know, the, the way that he's gone about it has been the right way because, I mean, you, you could hear him at, at Minnesota. I mean, he's still rooting very, very hard for that team um, after that DeMarty Pearsonell catch in the first go, half. Go, 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 go. Uh, he, was, he was in, all mm-hmm. in. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, you wouldn't have gotten any benefit by making a move after Saturday. There's just no benefit to it. I completely agree. All right, we're 20, 28 minutes into this, and you should probably mention Nebraska plays at Penn State here on Saturday. They are uh, heavy underdogs in the Vegas world, I believe at 27 points, the last I had looked, awaiting them. Um, besides 110,000 screaming Fans minus the twenty-one Patrick O'Brien family and supporters is Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, and what hasn't been as explosive as a Penn State offense as they probably projected to be this year. But Nebraska might have the cure for all of that. <laughs> Their O line's been pretty rugged. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking to stockpile Big Macs, this could be a good weekend for you. Saquon Barkley, as he's a unbelievable talent. But he has 899 rushing yards. That that is pointing the finger right at the O line. There, they they've had some games. I've caught a few of them where he just has no space. But you know when Nebraska gives up 409 to Minnesota, and then you see Barkley 
photos of them hurtling like <laughs> over my head yeah in the paper or whatever online you're kind of like okay that's just, this is not going to go well the uh it'll, it'll be interesting to see how nebraska chooses to try to defend penn state because i don't think that uh nebraska has the ability to take one thing completely away even if they try i think the strain is going to be much too high on the defense is there any reason to think the strain is real (laughs) the strain is very real uh no matter how you move those puzzle pieces around uh i think barkley is going to get his yards but it, it it's interesting that penn state has kind of almost chosen to use him as like a decoy almost the last few weeks as opposed to just a, a featured back uh but I mean, Penn State has kind of – I think the most recent game I saw them play was against Northwestern where they had McSorley throwing touchdown passes to backup quarterback Tommy Stevens. Like, they have a creative offense. They're going to find ways to get the ball uh, in the hands of their playmakers. And it just feels like one of those games that being on the road has the potential to snowball in a hurry. Do you anticipate it'll be Patrick O'Brien or Tanner Lee under center? We'll find out tomorrow. It's sort of just, I mean, it's one of those things you can't know. I know that's not popular to say on these sort of things. But with concussion protocol, it's just all like if by Friday afternoon they say, yeah, he's cleared, I think they'll start Tanner Lee, don't you? Even if he didn't practice. I think they, that's just my opinion. I Is don't there know. any advantage to playing Patrick O'Brien in on a season like this? I think <laughs> the way I think this game is going to go, I think if – Tanner Lee is cleared I would play him off the start because of his experience and because I do think he's a little bit better at this point than Patrick O'Brien and gives your team the best chance to win and I still think you owe that it's your duty as a coach it's not about like oh this guy's going to be here more years than this guy it's about what gives you the best chance so I would play Lee and then if this game goes how we think it could Nebraska building a big enough lead yeah where they're where Nebraska's (laughs) up like 35 to 3 you obviously give O'Brien those snaps midway through the third quarter to step off the gas. You just let him hand <laughs> off to Jalen Bradley for most of the second half to, to run the clock out. So, yeah, there's your plan. I mean, <laughs> what, what would the so, – so let's say Tanner Lee gets cleared on Friday afternoon. So he doesn't practice the entire week, not involved in the game plan whatsoever in any kind of meaningful way in practice and you're just going to throw him in there against Penn State. I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I, I feel like if you have prepared all week with Patrick O'Brien, you put Patrick O'Brien out there. You seem skeptical that maybe putting Tanner Lee out there with Nebraska's current offensive line isn't going to be a recipe of success. And a little dangerous. Dangerous for whom? Tanner Lee. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> it's a very, very he, good defensive front from Penn State. Riley early in the week sounded... I think we kind of assumed that, okay, O'Brien's going to start this game. But then you would say Tuesday teleconference, maybe it seemed like Lee was he, back he in the had, picture. He had cleared one hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, How many hurdles are there for those wondering? I don't know. You don't know if it's 100 meter, 200 meter? I don't, I don't know what the concussion hurdle race looks like. It seems like a tough thing. Like Eric Lee, every situation is different. But those things can look – we might not see Tanner Lee again this year. It's totally possible. Right. And I, I kind of wondered, too, how much gamesmanship was going on a Possibly. little bit, too, with, yeah, you know, Tanner's looking like he's probably going to play, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get to Pennsylvania and he's not cleared. I mean, I, I think that there's definitely some benefit for Nebraska to keeping that decision in doubt leading up to Saturday. And he's got, he's got a lot of football in his future, he thinks, you know, at the professional level. I think you got to do what's right by him, too. So. If, if he doesn't come back this year, do you think that, that we've seen in his last game in a Nebraska uniform? All depends on who is hired, if there's someone else hired. <laughs> I, I think he's gone regardless, personally. I mean, it could be the run back Mike Riley back there. You could get an offensive guru that throws the ball. I think he's going to the NFL regardless of the situation. I don't think it's – yeah, because I can see that because I don't think he would get better from another year. But in some ways, it's, he's he's an older it's a guy. Thing, yeah. He's like 21, 22 already. 20, maybe he's 23 already. Yeah, I mean, he's probably to the point where it, it is almost time to go to that part. So I, I think Schaefer's probably right. 
Uh, one thing I do want to mention, the offensive line, David Neville could make his return this week. Uh, sliding in from right tackle to right guard would be the fifth time, fourth time that's happened for Nebraska football in the last three years. They love moving tackles to guards. Uh, Neville, who apparently is now healthy enough to play, but maybe has been around <laughs> for the last few weeks. I think he's been around for a while, yeah. yeah it's kind of wondering, you know, pick him up, take him off the shelf, dust <laughs> you, him off. You sound a little skeptical. The whole thing's dumb. It's completely dumb. Listening to Cav's explanation didn't even make sense. He's been available a while. What was that? He's been available. Yeah, a while. he's been available for a while, and then <laughs> asking why he all of a sudden makes sense at guard now over a freshman in Matt Farniak that four weeks ago they wouldn't stop gushing about. What happened? And you can't blame it on Farniak's injury. He's had it since the Northern Illinois game. And where's Bo Wilson? Oh, and there's that question too. <laughs> He's at fullback, He's not out there for fourth and one situations. Well on two, uh, he had two snaps, I think. They scored a touchdown. That's a pretty good ratio right there. Bo Wilson so, is one of the great mysteries, though. I mean, he was. We thought he might start the opener in 2016 as a true freshman. I mean, I, I listed in that story <laughs> the backups that have started over Bo Wilson since 2016 include Cole Conrad, Michael Decker. Samuel Hahn, Matt Farniak, and there, I think there's one more other one. There's no, oh, it'll be David Neville. There's nothing that's hurt Mike Cavanaugh more in public opinion than Michael Decker. And when he got his chance, he went out there, and the eyes of every fan told him, wait, this guy was better than what was playing. I, and I think two years of not willing to take guys out because of performance issues, mm-hmm. sticking with certain players despite the results that were on the field and on film. I mean, and his insistence that every player doesn't know the system, like that's literally the answer he's given on every single backup. Gerald Foster didn't know the system when Dylan Otter was out there struggling at guard for seven games in 2015. Michael Decker didn't know the system and then got in. It seemed like he knew the system a hell of a lot better than was expected. So it's a... it's been an odd run for for three years with the offensive line, and I find it humorous that it's ending in such fashion that a tackle that they had hoped would be good to go at right tackle for all of this year played one game has been available for middle of the season on is now going to be the right guard. It's been impressive too that they've moved two guys. How tall is Starup? Probably like six, six seven. seven, six eight. You got Neville at six nine uh, in at guard. I mean, it's going to be fun watching a uh, Patrick O'Brien or Tanner Lee try to throw slants over him. He just hits, it keeps hitting him in the helmet. <laughs> Adding on to it, I mean, Alex Lewis made it in the NFL as a guard. Yeah, it 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 feels like at times that they're just an offensive line full of guards. You just got to line them up across and get what you can. Even even with all that. I can't make sense of it why they struggle as much as they do, yeah. especially on the left side where you got Gates and Foster, guys who have been around who seem to have the tools and it just hasn't translated. And I don't, I mean, if to make it real general, because I'm a layman and I got to talk like this, sometimes I wonder if it's you try to do all this different stuff with your offense and it's the same thing with your line where you're trying to, you don't. You don't master anything because you're trying all these different things and techniques, and you got to block this way and pass pro this way and run. And I, I don't know if it just gets in guys' heads and stuff, but I mean, other programs effectively do it. I mean, that that's the thing that in at, at this point in year three, you still don't have anything that you can do well and rely on. Like that, that's the part of it to me that I, did, I just can't wrap my head around and, and I think a lot of it is because of the offensive line and, and just inconsistency because you can't you can't go to a screenplay you can't do a lot of really deep routes because guys can't hold protection for that long I mean th- there was a play towards the end of that game where Patrick O'Brien was sacked when there were seven guys protecting against three Minnesota defensive linemen two different linemen just watched the defensive tackle go straight by into Patrick O'Brien right and, you know, it was the same way 
in the Northwestern game. And, you know, I get I get the frustration with Danny Langsdorf's play calling. Like, it's been suspect. But at the same time, when you're an offensive coordinator and you put seven guys on the line to block three and you can't do that, what do you call? Yeah. Like, it's that that's what i keep going back to is is it's we said at the start of the year the line needed to be improved and it hasn't and been and for 2 weeks it looked like they were pretty good and then they were not and there's got to be player accountability there too right. i mean it's not i mean you have talented individuals when michael decker was starting uh for them at center and your your left to right is a four star and um Nick Gates, a high three-star in Gerald Foster, a high three-star in Michael Decker, a four-star in Tanner Farmer, and a four-star in Brendan Hymas. I mean, it's not a – unless you believe that two different coaching staffs completely missed on evaluations entirely and that all of the – you go through, there's a lot of power five offers on that mm-hmm. that group of five right there. I mean, there's a disconnect, and it doesn't make sense to me. And, and it – You've got your notes over there, I noticed. Um, if you go look at Nebraska's statistics for this year. Got them. Especially what do you want? The, individ- the individual <laughs> rushing numbers for Nebraska. Oh. Trey Bryant still stacks up pretty favorably <laughs> in that run, that run column, yeah. considering he hasn't played since Nebraska was in Oregon. Played seven quarters. Yeah. I mean, he's still number two, and by a pretty wide margin. <laughs> so... I mean, that just goes to tell you the struggles that they've had running the ball this year. Yeah, they're 113th in the country running the ball. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. Yeah, I hope... How many beers or shots have we made people take while listening to this podcast, by the way? Well, we're 40 minutes in. I'm I'm guessing some people just kind of fell out of their chairs. I know. That's supposed to be the uplifting segment. Well, it is what it is. That's kind of, I mean, that's what it is. That's like a Nebraskan. I mean, that's like when you go out to see your family at Thanksgiving and you want to talk about football or something. That's what it's going to be like at next Thursday. People are just going to be like, well, you well know, if you're, if we were what doing are they going like, to do? Sorry, if we were doing a commercial to advertise this particular podcast, we would just play the clip of Brian saying, well, and then Silas <laughs> looking at his notes. <laughs> He's pretty enamored with these notes. They're, they are I'm printed look, in full color. I'm looking for something I can present to the people. It's not, it's all bad. I think we've covered everything. Yeah. Do we want to talk basketball? <laughs> Nebraska yeah. 24-7 podcast. Quote, it's all bad. End quote. Welp. <laughs> Uh, do we want to talk basketball, Brooks? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk some hoops. You talk. They oh. won. They're 2-0. and Hoops. Better than Indiana. They, uh, they, point. They, they narrowly beat uh, Eastern Illinois to open the season and then uh, took it to the mean green of North Texas. Sands Kevin Dillman um, in, in game two the other night, <laughs> running out to a 25-2 lead in the first half. Uh, before what was one of the uglier second halves of basketball I think I've ever seen with 56 combined fouls uh, on the night for both teams. Um, this this team is interesting to me because they can defend it a little bit. They've got 18 total blocks in two games. It's not just Dubio KK swatting things, although he's pretty fun to watch. Um, you've got Isaac Copeland p- playing pretty good defense. You know, North Texas switched to – a couple zone looks in the second half that gave Nebraska some issues, which shouldn't come as a huge surprise. But I really think this team, A, has some guys that can shoot teams uh, out of a zone defense. And also they've got multiple guys who are going to be able to get to the rim. Like everybody that's watched Nebraska basketball at any length for the last 20 years understands the Nebraska basketball scoring drought. Like you know it's coming. Um, it's like tax day. It's out there somewhere. It's going to get you. Seven minutes, 52 seconds usually about. Yeah. And I, I feel like Nebraska has guys now, James Palmer being one, uh, Evan Taylor to a point as well, of guys who are going to be able to get to the rim and get to the foul line. And, and that's something that they, they've had it in, in little fits and spurts with guys like Ty Webster, um, 
you know, Terran Petaway when he was still going to the rim, uh, Siobhan Shields a little bit too. But I, I feel like they've got the guys where you're not going to see as many or as bad of those scoring droughts because they, they're going to be able to create more offense. What is a tougher game for them this week? Is it St. John's on the road, or is it former NCAA tournament participant North Dakota at home on Sunday? I think I'll just be curious to see how they do on the road. I mean, I, they haven't. They went to Mississippi State and played well, obviously. Um, but you know, when the games start counting, I think that's a little bit more of a a tough matchup. Um, you know, I, I, I think these are the games where they really kind of need to figure out rotation. I mean, they played, I think, 11 or 12 guys in the first half against North Texas. No red shirts. Uh, both Thor and Nana are not red shirting uh, against Tim Lyle's wishes. Uh, but, you know, they, they have to figure out kind of where guys can help them. I mean, I think you're going to be able to get minutes out of Jack McVeigh. I mean, I, I, Thomas Allen's going to be a big part of that uh, offense as well as a backup guard. And, and that's this is the time to really kind of figure those things out before uh, you have to go take on UCF and, and really get into the meat of the non-conference schedule in early December. All right. Well, are they going to get it done against? Against Chris Mullen? Yes. And St. John's? Yes. I believe so. I don't I don't have a score prediction. Is that what you're wanting? It was. I was going to come come back with uh, where Tim, Tim Hardaway and uh, – Chris Mullen ranked in your pantheon of duos on NBA Jam growing up. Didn't use them a whole lot. Really? Yeah. Who was your team? Uh, Sonics. I mean, I would roll with Kemp and Peyton. Kemp and Peyton? If not that, then the Suns with Marley and uh, Kevin Johnson, I think. See, I, I liked I liked the Mullen-Hardaway combo because you had two guys that could shoot from outside. So you, you had the potential to get hot easier. Tim Hardaway had a pair of shoes, the killer crossover shoes that I wore in elementary school. Yeah. That were pretty badass. Who uh who made them? He just swore he didn't jump down his I don't think that counts as swing. Yeah, he badass is fine. So I don't even want to get into a double standard of a show. You dropped the S word. Yeah. The <laughs> S word. <laughs> Who who made the Tim Hardaway shoes? Was it like was it? Uh, I don't think was it was it LA a, Gear. I don't think it was a name brand company. Because British Knights might have been. I don't. So I, I gotta go look it up. I thought they were pretty sweet. I was not a kid who had name brand shoes until late into junior high, and so I can't imagine these were Nikes or Reeboks. I feel like it might have might have been a little LA Gear. We'll see what the stats Maybe. department can come Maybe up with was, in the next but, couple minutes. Yeah. The first, so when, go on. Do you know what your first pair of like Nikes were? Uh, first pair of name brand shoes I wore was when I made the B team at McMillan Junior High, and my parents got me some uh, Reebok. They're like above the rims or something, and they're black, and I thought they were pretty sweet, but they uh, they broke down on me in like a week or two. Ooh, that's and so good. we had to take them back, and I think my mom was like, this is why we don't pay this much for shoes sort of thing, <laughs> you know. Um, but I did have a pair of Timmy Hardaways at some point. He had a shoe, I'm pretty sure. Remember, it was like Stefan Marbury had the Starberries or whatever that were lower priced. Seems yes. like this might have been one of those situations. I don't know. Well, Shaq has his own shoe, too, that you could get a pay less for a while. I kind of like that. I do. Um Chris Weber had the data. Yeah. That was a thing for for a while. I know it gets made fun of by the shoe snobs out there, but, you know, for kids who just want, it's, it's a good deal. There's probably somebody screaming at their phone or listening device right now saying that they're Nikes. They were actually Nikes. Oh. Killer crossovers. Were they really? Yeah. Maybe it was like, what year was it? Tim uh, Hardaway. I don't I even know Tim Hardaway had his own shoes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what year Nikes. it was, but so I had a pair of Nikes. Maybe I, this whole thing was a lie. I did have a pair, like, but maybe that was in high school. I don't know. Your mom's probably pissed off now. She's like, we we bought him Nikes. Yeah, yeah. First, she didn't appreciate anything. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, she doesn't hear this. <laughs> uh, you didn't we, get any reports from last week. I didn't. Throw I, away I, any. I think she's given up on the podcast. Oh, well. <laughs> 
Hopefully it's just her and everybody else is all the way I don't in. know why you would. She said, well. <laughs> uh, right. So we're 49 minutes in. I think it might be prediction, pre- time. prediction time. Yeah. Uh, 26 point spread right now, according to Sportsline. Um, what do you guys got? Uh, 52 to 17 Penn State. I think it's going to get ugly. I mean, I... If it were 52-17, I think this is how sad it is right now. I think some Nebraska fan would be like, sign me up for that and let's get out of there. <laughs> uh, 48-14. I will say 55-21. Penn, Penn State. P.O.B. starts? Yeah. I think he starts. I don't think Lee I do, too. Him. I think he starts. Do we see Andrew Bunch at any point? You, you sure hope not. The bunch, I mean, not, nothing against Andrew, but that's a tough spot to walk <laughs> into if you're Andrew Bunch. Yeah. I, I hope we see a lot of Jalen Bradley. It sounds like he, his injury is improving. And I think that's the thing uh, to get away from the snark for a second. You're looking for the last two games is you want to see that nucleus of guys who are going to matter no matter what the staff is or who's in charge. You know, you want to see them do well. And that's why this game is interesting from the quarterback perspective if Patrick O'Brien plays, because we've talked about it off the air before. You know, he can move a little bit. It was kind of made a joke this week. He's not Deshaun Watson and all that. Everybody understands that. But he's got some mobility where if you do are transitioning to a different offense at some point, he could potentially be a guy who could at least do that. Yeah, no argument there. All right, well, uh, if you're looking for less depressing reads or maybe even more depressing reads, you can find them at nebraska.247sports.com, depending on the day and the situation and possibly even the writer. There's great content to be found on the basketball, on football, on recruiting. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of news towards the end of the month, and so you certainly want to be around the website to see all of that. We've got deals going on. If you'd like to become a VIP member, there's a VIP room that comes out every Monday with plenty of interesting premium nuggets that you can only find at nebraska.247sports.com.